Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So I've been watching, uh, uh, watching, I've been listening to Goodfellas Minute. Have you listened to that podcast? No, I've listened to like the other, like Star Wars Minute, um, I used to listen to a lot. I haven't listened in a while. Um, Goodfellas Minute is pretty good. It um, I actually enjoy that because there's more episodes, so I get more out of uh, Goodfellas by just instead of watching Goodfellas, I'm like, let me just go through and like relive my favorite scene over and over again within that minute. Which right for a second I was like, we could do that for this movie. We could do we could do Scrooge Minute. I was like, no, there'd be some long minutes. <laughs> Yeah, they'd be pretty long. I think that if we were to do a minute podcast, my vote would be uh, Planet of the Apes. I could do Planet of the Apes. I wouldn't be against Planet of the Apes. I wouldn't be against... Um... i trying to think of something that is as... Planet of the Apes, the only problem is, and the same goes for a lot of older movies, there are some dragging minutes. There are some pan shots. There are... I don't, I don't know. I, th- I want to do... I mean, I'm down just to jump right over to either the Caesar trilogy or uh, Conquest. You know me, but right, right. The ones, the ones that no one else talks about, but we really, really like. Well, um, Jimmy, you know a movie that does not drag out its minutes even at all in the slightest is uh, Scrooge, also known as A Christmas Carol, the 1951 seminal adaptation of this story featuring uh alistair sim in the title role um has has there ever been a man born to play ebenezer scrooge more than he like oh my gosh we'll talk about that we'll talk about that um i i don't want to spoil my thoughts too much before we kind of get to our wrap-up at the end but um i definitely want to talk about his portrayal of scrooge welcome to jacob marley is dead This is a podcast where two friends talk about a Christmas carol and only a Christmas carol. I'm your host, John. And I'm your uh, sidekick, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Are you the the Marley to my Scrooge or is it the other way around? How does this work? Uh, Oh, come on. First of all, you are the Bob Cratchit to my Scrooge. All right. That's what it is. (laughs) 
<laughs> you do all the work and I just sit in my room counting my co- coins. Okay. That's what happens. All right. I sincerely hope I'm not the Bob Cratchit in this movie because I think I've seen Bob Cratchit's in various adaptations get kind of the short end of the stick. And I think there's a couple moments where this Bob gets like the shortest end of the shortest stick. It's not good. Well, we will go into that in a little bit, John. I, I've got a lot of thoughts on Scrooge. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if there is the exclamation point there, but it feels like there. It should have it. I think is the exclamation point the musical. I think with so Albert too. Finney, which I think we're we're going to be talking about in pretty short order. Um, yeah, this one does not have the exclamation point. So. Uh, To give our listeners a little bit of background, this is a 1951 adaptation. Um, I think most people would argue this is probably the the most classically well-known adaptation. I've read reviews that are more recent to the extent that um, most people look to this as like the gold standard for what A Christmas Carol on film should be. Well, you got to remember that this was the one that was really big with boomers in the 1950s and 60s. The movie came out in America. I looked it up. It was not a big hit in America. Smash hit in the in the UK. Very successful there. But when it came to America, it wasn't successful. But like with certain movies in the 80s with VHS, on syndication, on television plays, this was seen by many, 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 many people in the 50s and 60s. So I think for a lot of uh, baby boomers, this is their version of A Christmas Carol. Very, very popular. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's true of a lot of Christmas movies. It's interesting. We see a similar thing happen with um, with A Christmas Story, which didn't really gain popularity until it hit like that 24 hour a day on TBS system that it has now. Um, same thing with It's a Wonderful Life, actually. That was another one that kind of didn't work so well when it was a theatrical release but once you could watch it at home or on tv um it became like a huge smash hit and there was a review in the 1950s that said as much about this film don't take your kids to see it it's too sad it's too depressing and i think that's i think that's why some of these films find their audience after initial release because people think it's too sad for the holidays But the real good Christmas stories are the ones that have that edge, have that bite to them, and um, they find their audience. Cream rises to the top, and that's the case here with this one. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, Yeah, this movie was actually supposed to initially be released at Radio City Music Hall when it came to America. And Radio City Music Hall was like, no, this is too depressing. There's not enough in this for, like, family enjoyment. So they sort of shunted it off to... um, uh, the guild hall i believe it's called uh oh. which is kind of their their little sideline theater and that's mm-hmm. sort of where it found its initial release so we are uh, going to take a quick break here and when we come back we're going to talk about scrooge was in those ships all three on christmas day on christmas day and one was in those ships all three on christmas day in the morning so let's get right into it we're going to talk about uh Scrooge. So um, if you listen to our first couple of episodes, you know that we sort of did a a long form breakdown of the novella, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. 
Um, so we're not going to spend as much time in uh, these follow-up episodes talking about the plot of this story, especially for versions like this that largely stick to the plot. We're going to be focused more on going through it scene by scene to talk about how uh, certain characters are portrayed, uh, what changes are made. So our discussion is going to kind of focus in on those areas. So if you were concerned that this was going to be listening to two guys tell the same story again and again and again, uh, I promise you. We won't. This podcast is an insane idea, but we're not that insane. Not that insane, John. We're we're pretty, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but we'll move yeah. on from that. <laughs> yeah, this is a terrible idea for our first podcast, but we're doing it anyway. It's fine. Yeah, we got it. So like a lot of films of this era, uh, we start by opening a book just in case any kids are watching and we want them to immediately leave the room. Well, there's a moment, John, right there where the hand has like several options. All of Dickens' book, or at least the, the, the big ones, are there on the shelf. And like, I got nervous for a second. I was like, please don't grab great expectations. Like, I can't oh, yeah, sit no. through that again, okay? Yeah, but we get that kind of classic like 40s, 50s era opening where the the credits roll over the pages of a book with what I am like 98% sure is the same rendition of Hark the Herald Angels Sing that they sing at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. It sounds exactly the same playing. So yeah. to me, I wonder if you could like get away with sort of watching It's a Wonderful Life and then seamlessly transitioning into this movie without anybody noticing. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, especially with people like not paying attention to black and white, slow paced old movies. So they're looking at their phone. They look up and like, wait, did this change movies? Nope. It's the same thing. We just put it together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we do get some narration at the beginning. We get that sort of like a, a truncated version of the narration from the beginning of the novella. Um, the actor delivering this narration is actually also one of the uh, gentlemen that Scrooge talks to in the exchange in the scene immediately afterwards. He got like a little bit of secret screen time. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know that as a fact, but it definitely sounded like the same gentleman. And I was like, interesting. And it doesn't play into anything later on. Spoiler. Yeah, it's he's just... sort of like a he's like a 50s era like that guy actor. I think he was also. Um, he had a role in Dr. Strangelove, I believe. I was looking it up before. Yes, yes. That's where I knew him from. Yes. Yeah. He is the Russian ambassador. He, that's it. Yep. Pres no, no, it's Presmir Kissoff. Kiss and it's, uh, I can't remember what the ambassador's name, but the, he has the whole scene where they're, they're fighting in the war room. And yeah. it's wonderful actor. Wonderful actor. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets like a great little bit part in this. It's, it's kind of fun. I like these guys a lot. So. Um, we start actually with Scrooge on the exchange. We don't get the more traditional opening of him already in his counting house. Um, so already we, we deviate a little bit. And what do you make of this interaction that he has with, with these two, uh, sales or salesmen? Um, I don't know, stock traders at the exchange. It's a slow build. Everything yeah. is building slowly to him being like, well, I get a sense from his performance here is like, it's a simmer right now, his hatred of Christmas. Right. And it's, yeah. it's a humbug and yeah. it's, it's, it's just, it's a little bit there, but as we go through the next couple of scenes, it just, it's building up, it's building up. The season is just being hammered into his head. 
and he's hating Christmas with yeah. every additional scene. This is one of the places where, like, for me watching this, I was immediately kind of like, oh, this movie is like a show don't tell kind of movie because a lot of work is done to help reinforce the idea of Scrooge as this like miserable miser through his interactions with other people. And, and a lot of those interactions are things that are added in to kind of um, uh, spice up the, the script a little bit. So uh, this opening scene, he sort of has this, this conversation with two sort of bougie looking stock traders. And they're asking him about like his Christmas plans. And he sort of brushes them off and walks away. And what I thought was interesting is like, even these guys, right. These like fat cats with their, their like, gilded waistcoats and top hats are looking at Scrooge like what's this guy's problem like he walks away and they kind of laugh at like what a curmudgeon he is and I thought that was really interesting that they they are choosing to have it be like even among these like rich useless people Scrooge is a little bit of an outcast like he's a a little bit of a of a of a target for uh, uh people's sort of humor so these guys there's only two there and traditionally there are three but we only have two we only have the glutton who says he'll only go to the funeral if there's if there's a banquet or a feast or a meal and so the other one is the but he's the narrator he's the narrator yeah it's weird i don't know i just i i i guess i would have thought that if you're going to pick a narrator it wouldn't be the one who's clearly the asshole out of the two yeah i think i have a feeling that it's more they hired him on to be the narrator and then we're like hey if you want a little screen time you can have this cameo like it doesn't feel Ah. like there is a it doesn't feel like there's an artistic reason why you make this guy the narrator it feels more like he's there and he's a good character actor he fits this role why not you know what i mean that's that that's a missed opportunity that's a missed opportunity to have a good a, a good businessman character who's like I'm a I'm a good version of what Scrooge could be, and I'm describing why he's a jerk. Like that would have been yeah. something. Like I guess, ah. yeah. It's kind of like the same reason you have John Reese Davies play Gimli and also Treebeard, just because he's got that voice and he's there. So it's like you might as well instead of bringing that's in fair. someone else. That, yeah. that that that's fair. I, I still miss opportunity, but yeah. <laughs> as a as a as a director, I think that. Um, I would I would want the narrator to have a more symbolic meaning, but we can we can we can kind of take a pass on it for this movie, I guess. I mean, look, it's it's they're doing a lot here and they're making a lot of interesting choices, some good, some bad. We'll get into it. But I I do appreciate when a movie can make the narrator more than just uh, an abstract voice of God, especially the actors in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he he leaves the exchange and. He's almost immediately accosted outside the exchange by someone who owes him money, right? Some some uh, person who has borrowed money from his business. And uh, we get kind of like a nice reference to the debtor's prison, um, which we talked about in the first episode. We know that Dickens and his family, like his father, went to a debtor's prison. Um, and the guy's basically like, you know, if I, like, I can't take my wife to a debtor's prison, like you have to give me an extension on this. And... I, Scrooge is like, well, why would she go to debtor's prison? Like, she doesn't owe me money. You do. Which is interesting, right? Like, he really doesn't... He does not grasp, like, the familial connection, right? He doesn't understand why, like, this guy... Why he would want to keep his family together, even if he's going to a debtor's prison. Well, he doesn't get that. And he he also, getting into something later on, he, he... 
at this point, it's cause and effect is everything. It's yeah, you didn't pay, you you go to the prison. She's fine. She hasn't yeah. done anything by me. And it's not that he's cruel necessarily for cruel sake. It's just if you're if you, if you do right by if if you're doing what you're supposed to do, that's fine. But I don't yeah. know. I feel like I feel like there's compared to the novella, this Scrooge has a little bit more going on initially, um, and like he's not 100 anti Christmas. And what, again, going back to what I said a second ago, this is just building up. Okay. Yeah. You, there's there's a way that he's like emotionally disconnected. He does not bring he doesn't bring emotional consideration into any of these things. Everything is very black and white. It's like, well, you owe me money and you said you would pay it back by this time, so you're going to. And if you don't, you'll go to debtor's prison because that's what happens. He he doesn't seem I mean, it, there's cruelty that will come out later. Like he's definitely a cruel person, but there's almost a total lack of any kind of feeling. Like he's not getting pleasure out of of screwing this guy over. It's just business. And there was, I mean, he was capable of those feelings, pleasure, joy, all those things later on. We'll go to that with the Ghost of Christmas uh, past. But he has this, like, like you're saying, he's just, he's numb to it all at this point. Yeah. And yet not. And and yeah. that, he does a really good, we'll get to it when we get to uh, the office, but he shows the suffering of Scrooge really, really well in this book. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so... Let's kind of get up to that point. So we we have um, sort of the classic like carolers that are singing outside of his business and he sort of tells them to piss off. Um, I almost thought he was going to drop kick him. I really did. Like he just, <laughs> like at one point I was like, here comes a backhand. Here comes a cane hit. Here comes a, yeah. and he does yeah. He does. He tells him to get the heck away, but he doesn't, yeah. but you, he, he, the possibility or, the perception of Scrooge is that he would have done it. And that's what right. people think of him, that he, he could have done that. And a really nice moment. Yeah. So, um, and then we get to his business. So the guys, the, the charity collectors are already there when he yeah. shows up and, and, and Cratchit is sitting at his desk kind of like, um, like awkwardly waiting for Scrooge to show up so that these guys can talk to him. It feels well, like they've been there for a little bit. Well, he's there managing the store and these guys are waiting for scrooge in my head cratchit's like i should have kicked these guys out i shouldn't have let them in here but maybe he did could he have turned them away could his could his heart not turn them away because he's charitable i also just think bob like i question whether bob a knows why they're there to begin with um b has that kind of like authority like i feel like Bob Cratchit in this version strikes me as the kind of guy who doesn't make waves at work, right? Mm. Like he definitely does not seem like he's he's a like going to try to manipulate Scrooge into being a better person by letting these charity guys in. No, that's fair. But he definitely I think he's afraid of Scrooge's reaction to them being there, especially after the conversation they're about to have. It definitely feels that way. He and this Bob Cratchit um, definitely plays it. Uh, he he has that kind of like whipped dog sort of energy, where like he knows that any second something he says could could sort of set Scrooge off against him. And the way Scrooge acts around him is very much like you're on thin ice all the time, right? Every any little thing you say could be a thing that like sets me off. And there's a moment later on in this scene that we'll talk about, but big Mormon energy with these uh these charity collectors, right? 
<laughs> like that was literally my first thought when they came in. I was like, oh wow, this is like and the charity collector characters usually have this kind of like goody two shoes sort of energy, like very do goodery. Um, but I feel like in this version in particular, there was something very like kind of they were standing a little bit too close to him, like their expressions, something about it really just gave me this vibe of like uh, people who are uh, going to try to sell you something or get you to do something that you're super not interested in. And uh, I also think that they had they had a bit of an edge to them. They they weren't they weren't just taking like you could do this scene and we'll see this as we go through. Very hat in hand, very, oh, some of them would rather die than go there, sir. No, when he says that line, some of them would rather die than go there, he's saying F you to Scrooge. Like, he's like, what's wrong with you, Scrooge? Like, he's like, and you could see in his eyes, like, this guy's got money. (laughs) Why does he (laughs) give me some of his money to give to other people who need money? This guy's got money. Um, thanks, John Mulaney, guest <laughs> guest starring on our podcast. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, oh boy. I didn't know it for the moment there, John, but you're right. That was That's straight a definitely, Mulaney. Yeah. Straight That's Mulaney. a Mulaney bit. Then they said, give us some money <laughs> as a gift. We want a gift, but only if it's money. Um, so one of these guys, I don't think this is in the book. So Scrooge says like, besides it's not my business. Like when he, when he does the surplus population line, he says, besides it's not my business. And one of these guys is like, isn't it? And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. They're really like dropping that right in his lap. Like the, the, um, reality that his privilege kind of makes him responsible for taking care of these people. And he's straight up denying it. And I think that that is going to set kind of a tone for the rest of this, like, Scrooge this version of Scrooge and I don't think this is like untrue of other versions but this version in particular really does not feel the burden of responsibility that his wealth brings to the table no and 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 what this version also does is is it makes that statement some versions of this tiptoe around it and like just play it as more of an abstract and like He's just grumpy. And if he wasn't grumpy and maybe gave us some money, it'd be really nice. Yeah. No, this is really talking about everything that goes along with his wealth and yeah. his business as well. And it's like, no, no, you suck. <laughs> yeah. So um, these guys leave and then. I don't know. The scene where his nephew comes in is really odd to me. There's like a, a weird energy here. So first of all, he he's like the okay so the charity collectors leave and fred comes in like right after them and scrooge is like who is that and fred goes your nephew uncle which is definitely for the benefit of the audience that is not like a thing that a normal person would say the way that he says it it's very much like i'm walking onto the scene now and i'm scrooge's nephew just so you know this is our relationship because this scene is gone in a second like i barely had time to take any notes on it because it was like here and gone. This movie simultaneously bumps up the nephew's character and then cuts it off at its knees every single time. Yeah. And this is this is seen as a perfect example of it. This yeah. could yeah. be one of your highlights of the movie. The nephew has the one of the best speeches. He what we talked about in the last episode, where it's like he defends the concept of Christmas. None of that here. 
Nothing. Yeah, no, no. And well, and I think that they make, uh, we'll see some stuff when we get to the Ghost of Christmas past where they, they enhance, I think, the, they enhance the emotional weight of Scrooge's nephew existing without mm-hmm. really enhancing the actual character. Like they diminish the character of Fred a lot in this. We don't right. get to see a ton of him and he's already a character that we don't see a ton of in the novel. But um, in this, it, it, they make it much more about Scrooge's connection to his sister, but we'll talk about that. Oh um, yeah. And we kind of get like the, the impression in this that Scrooge like did not want, like specifically for bad Fred from getting married and Fred was like, well, screw that. I'm going to get married. doesn't matter. Right. right? Um, which will come back around again. This is like Chekhov's fiance, which we'll see kind of at the end of this. Oh um, boy. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> what we do get here is actually a really nice interaction between Bob and Fred. Like Fred is like, Hey, uncle Scrooge, do you want to come to Christmas? And Scrooge is like, no, I'll see you in hell first. And Fred's like, okay. And he leaves, but then he spends a little bit of time talking to Bob, which I thought was a nice scene. I like that interaction between them. And he brings up tiny Tim. I want to make note of this. With yeah. an earshot of Scrooge, he says, how's that cripple kid of yours? Like, he doesn't yeah. say it exactly like that, but he establishes that there is, A, a character called Tiny Tim, and B, he's walking around with a crutch. So yeah. Scrooge knows that. I really want people to get, like, that's in the brain. He knows that fact. Oh, and this is... This is uh... This oh, is yeah. the part of the show, everyone, where Jimmy will defend his theory that this is all a dream. Um, so, <laughs> so speaking of Tiny Tim, let's talk about the world's largest Tiny Tim. There's <laughs> nothing tiny about Tiny notes. Tim. I was like, not so Tiny Tim, eh? Yeah, yeah. He's he's. He's basically as tall as Bob, right? So we get we kind of cut away from the counting house for a minute and we get like the the archetypical child looking in the window of a toy shop at Christmas scene. And Tiny Tim is like repeatedly looking at the world's creepiest toy. Okay, that clown <laughs> thing that was laughing, get the right out of here with that noise. That yeah, is- so it's it's for the benefit of the listeners this is one you might want to go and and just watch like go even look up this scene if you can because he's looking in the window and it's one of these things where there's a lot of like mechanized like clockwork toys which i'm gonna assume is is historically accurate i don't really know what uh mechanical toys look like in victorian london i mean maybe the great mouse detective i guess has them but i don't know how accurate that is Automatons were a thing dating back hundreds of years. So, I mean, there were some sort of mechanical toys. And if it's a really a thing about, like, we're going to go see what the rich people play with, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Um, for, and that's for, kind for of the implication of-, of what's happening, right? It seems like he's right. out. Like, so Tiny Tim is out shopping with Mrs. Cratchit on mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, and he's kind of on the street looking in this this toy shop window at things that he most likely will not be able to have because his no. his dad has a bad job. So... Um, he's, he's not a rich dad. He's a poor dad. Uh, this toy, I kept trying to figure out if it was like an actual person. Cause it's just close enough to being lifelike. It's very much in the uncanny Valley. And it just kind of kept like bobbing up and like making this like laughing motion and then bobbing back. And it cut to it like four times. It wasn't like it panned over it once. It kept cutting back to this thing. And I was like, okay, I see you weird German expressionist filmmaking techniques trying to freak me out with this. What is well, happening? It's- well, what's happening is the toy is mocking Tiny Tim. 
He's like, oh, oh that's these- an interesting take. He, you want all these toys? Ha ha, you can't get them. And I was hoping. God, that makes that- it even worse. So it's not just creepy. It's also kind of like a jerk. Yeah, it's a, it's, 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 a, I was hoping that Tim would have one moment because Tim is pretty much always depicted as like an angel. Like he's yeah, not, he's yeah. never, there's never any doubt in Tim's mind that things are going to be better. He, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. Tiny Tim's dead. I was hoping for like just a little, like look at his, you know, crippled leg. I wanted like, I just wanted something there that Tiny Tim could have a little bit of doubt. Just a you you would be forgiven uh, for not realizing that that Tiny Tim is crippled at all uh, in this movie because it barely impacts him. I think this is one of this movie's like failings. The actor that plays Tiny Tim is very good. And I think if he were about a foot shorter and about like 15 pounds thinner, I might believe that this is like a child who's on the brink of death. But as it I- stands, he's like a very healthy 10 11 year old just sort of cruising around on that crutch as tall as his parents who are both kind of short people um it just doesn't it doesn't play very well for me i think this was kind of weak uh we kind of cut back to the counting house and bob is asking for like christmas off as usual and and scrooge kind of gives him the brush off and there's like there's a moment here where i actually thought like scrooge is kind of like yeah well Uh, I guess you must have it, but just make sure like he's almost nice to him. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting that there's like like Scrooge is like kind of a curmudgeon, but he has like affection for Bob. And then as they're going out the door, um, (laughs) Bob, Bob wishes Scrooge a Merry Christmas. And there's this long (laughs) pause. And then Scrooge like really rips into him and not like angry. Like he doesn't get angry about it, but he kind of like gives him this like up and down look. And then it's just like. Oh, look at you wishing me a Merry Christmas, you poor piece of crap. I'll see you later. What a joke. And it's like, wow, okay. And yet I think in his warped mind, it's another example of I'm telling you this hard truth because this is a humbug. This is BS. You're all wasting money and in debt. And I know you're in debt because I know what I pay you. You can't afford anything, all right? Right. Uh, so Scrooge goes and has his his melancholy meal at his old melancholy restaurant. And Jimmy, I know that you particularly like this scene. So why don't you tell me what happens here? Okay. Scrooge is sitting in the middle of the saddest looking restaurant ever. And he's sitting there by himself, sad. And round comes the waiter and Scrooge asks for more bread. And the guy says, yeah, it'll be a nickel or whatever the currency is. Yeah, penny. I'm not. Yeah, it's like the smallest amount of money possible. Right. And Scrooge really wants that bread for his soup. Like he really wants that bread for that soup. And he looks at the soup. and He's like, there's a lot of soup there left. Am I just going to drink it or am I going to get some bread? And he thinks about it. Thinks about it. He thinks about it. I'm fine. This man has more money than anyone in London, probably. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty rich, but he does not like nothing about his his he clothing or his office or his eating habits. Like nothing um, indicates that he enjoys the use of his money. He can't even allow himself to enjoy the meal he is eating with an additional crust of bread he can't even give them that because it's and it's just it's it's he is suffering so much 
because of the way he has decided to live his life. Yeah. So this is a moment where I think the so I have mixed feelings about the pacing of this movie because there are places where I think the pacing of it is really good. And there Mm -hmm. are places where I think the pacing kind of undercuts the drama a little bit. And we're going to get to the knocker scene. So (laughs) what knockers? Oh, thank you, doctor. This is really a quick turnaround. They don't do a lot, in my opinion, to set like the mood of this moment because we kind of go from like the restaurant scene straight to him unlocking his door and seeing Marley's face in the knocker. And it I feel like it almost doesn't give you enough time to like anticipate that something weird is going to happen. It just sort of throws you into it. And it's a yeah. weird tonal shift for me. Yeah, there's there's a there's a need here for like just one or two seconds even or maybe 10 like just walking through the streets of yeah. London. Yeah. Like, like, and that's what shadows. you usually get. I think most versions of it, you get like that lonely walk by the gaslight down to, and like the music kind of giving you that anticipation. And here it, it feels like it moves to like, Oh, now there's a ghost. Hey, this is a ghost movie. Right. If you hadn't, if you didn't know this story before, you're about to get some like real weird stuff real quick. And also, if you're not going to do those scenes, establishing the mood, you need to have you have a narrator, so yeah. use the narrator. Have the narrator come back one last time to say, "Marley is dead." Yeah, yeah, and we yeah we don't get a ton. I feel like of mention of Jacob Marley, and uh, yet we get more Marley in this. And so far, I mean, I'm sure we'll see other examples. We will see other examples as we go through. But like, we get a lot of alive Marley later on in this. Way more yeah, than I think yeah. than in yeah. any other version I can think of at this moment. And I wish maybe that's why they didn't do more setup because we're going to get more Marley. I I guess, I guess we'll see. So he sees Marley's face and he um, obviously it's creepy. He goes inside. I thought the lighting in this sequence was really cool. Um, Definitely in the black and white version. I had mentioned German expressionism earlier. It has a very German expressionist feel of like shadows and crisscrossing things being used to create this sort of imposing space of his big empty house. When he's coming up the stairs there, it really reminds me of uh, Nosferatu. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah, Reverse. When he's coming up the stairs and you see the claws and the shadow shot from Nosferatu, it's like the looking down. And I was actually hoping to see a silhouette following him. I thought that would have been a really nice little thing. It's something they could have done. I mean, we'll get into the effects a little bit later on. They're not great. But the stuff they can do is pretty good. And that's an opportunity. I thought they could have done something there. They're not yeah, going to think... coffin up the stairs, but they could have done something like Marley's silhouette is following. This movie is not afraid to be like, we're going to do some special effects. Like this is this is an effects movie at a time when I feel like um, the kinds of effects they're doing in this movie were maybe not as common. So it's there's a lot of cool stuff. This is a moment, I think, where that could have happened. Um yeah, so this this is actually really cool. Um, I have mixed feelings about a lot of things in this movie. Um, they do this really cool thing where as Marley's about to appear, right, all the bells in the house start ringing, but they don't actually ring the bells. Like the bells don't move. They just make sound. And it keeps cutting back and forth to like the clock and then like the servant bell. And he's got like a little bell on the table beside him and none of them are moving, but they're all ringing. And it's super creepy. Like I found it really chilling. It's a it's a really simple choice, but a great choice. And yeah, you like because everybody if you if you've read the book, you know that the bells do ring. 
like and, yeah. or they're ringing from somewhere that at a bell that hasn't been used in the house and when you and you don't see anything ringing and just building up this like weird like what the heck is going on vibe and it's yeah. great yeah so then we hear like the kind of the clanking and cluttering and the door op- like flies open and, and Scrooge does what I've always wanted a Scrooge to do and um, they almost never do, which is to like jump up and put a wall to his back. Like I, he does not want something sneaking up behind him. So he kind of cowers in the corner. Um, and the way I just want to go back to that door shot. So they really hold on the door for a long time and that and build up like what? Doors gonna open, doors go open, and the door opens wide by itself, and there's Marley. Yeah. 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 And it's cool because he kind of like fades in. And this is the first of like several examples of this like using double exposure to put the ghosts in the scene. Won't be and the last looks, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks very cool though. Like there's something about, especially for a movie of this time, for them to not just have it be like an actor, which a lot of films do. Like a lot of versions just have a physical actor in the room. Or he's and, all gray or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and for a movie of this time period to go like, no, we're going to make him like a creepy see-through ghost. There's going to be something kind of off about him. Um, and they do a bit here. So he and Scrooge sit down and Scrooge does that whole thing with the toothpick where he's like, do you see this toothpick? And Marley's like not looking at it, but he sees it. And Scrooge kind of like holds it up and like moves it around. And I'm as I'm watching this, I'm realizing, oh, that's like a really good filmmaking magic trick because they know it's going to be hard to get these actors to match eyeline because of the way that this is filmed, right? Where Marley is clearly like on one cell or whatever. And then they're superimposing him onto the thing. So they're like, we're going to establish that Marley does not need to really look at Scrooge in this scene where we see them together by having Scrooge wave this toothpick around in front of his face and be like, you're not looking at this and and have him say, yeah, but I see it anyway. It's so smart. And there's so many things in this movie like that, that I really appreciate. It it definitely is. It's a clever trick. I think it's a bit, if you know anything about filmmaking for me, I was like, Oh, I get what they're doing here. Yeah. And part of me kind of wishes that, like, I get what you're saying, that it was a good way of, like, the, why he's not looking at Scrooge. But at the same time, I kind of wish that they had taken a few moments, rehearsed the scene, and Marley was, and, and Jacob was looking at him. I, I would have right. liked that. But it is a clever trick to explain yeah. why the heck he's not doing it. And it's a line from the book. Like, Scrooge says, you're not looking at this. And Marley says, I see it. So it's it's just like an interesting way, I think, to kind of thread that needle. And we don't see a ton of them in, like, frame together in the rest of this. There's a lot of kind of cutting back and forth. Um, this is... I don't know how I feel about this actor's portrayal of Ghost Marley. There are moments of it that I really like. I think the screaming is like really eerie and effective, but he also does a lot of like back of the hand on the forehead, like acting in this scene that I thought was a little melodramatic for me. Well, the one thing I will say is that it really is only, and we'll we'll get to a, a few other people doing this, but it's only the yeah. ghosts that are doing the melancholy. So it's yeah. at least a choice that, Me- that this melancholy performance of Marley and some others. Um, Marley basically gives him the classic, like, you've got a chance. Here's what it is. It goes over to the window. Um, and uh, the way the this shot of him walking over to the window, just the way it's framed, I thought looked super cool. There's a lot of really well-framed, like, split-focus shots in this movie that really elevate it visually for me um, in a way that other versions of this don't. It's it's hit or miss. There are some moments when those shots are there, like the yeah. like the stairway is ve- is a great shot there. The scene, 
you're talking about right now. But then there are others that are just waste up table yeah, 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 talk yeah, scenes. Yeah. Like th- that's it. Like so we so we get that kind of scene of all of the ghosts lamenting this woman and the way this is framed is really cool because you have the woman kind of on the ground like literally just sitting in the snow against a fence with her baby and it's really like sad and tugs at your heartstrings and she's sort of framed all around by these like kind of ghostly figures and they're all trying to like throw money at her which I think is really interesting or at least a few of them are like reaching into pockets and trying to like throw money to her and it's like blowing away or there's one close-up of one guy who's really trying yeah. to throw the coins at her. Like he's the one that I noticed. Like, and he's like, and the, he's desperately yeah. trying to pay back, and it just yeah. Ain't and happening. what's cool is so Marley instead of flying out the window, he sort of fades out next to Scrooge, and then he appears in the middle of all of these ghosts. So he kind of joins them in lamenting this woman. And it's a really, it's a really good shot. Um, So he sort of runs away from this, jumps into bed, closes all his curtains and like hides under the covers. And we very quickly transition. Like there's very little downtime before the ghost of Christmas past shows up. However, before we do that, we've got to pay our clerk. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. If I stopped you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, wouldn't you, hmm? But you don't think me ill-used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you, hmm? Tis only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking men's pocket every 25th of December. Hi, everybody. If you're anything like me, you've been listening to podcasts pretty much as long as podcasts have been a thing. And you've always dreamed that one day you would find a topic you were really passionate about and you would make that dream podcast yourself. Unfortunately, in today's day and age when everybody and their mom and their mom's dog has a podcast and there are so many different podcast hosting platforms to choose from, it can be a little bit difficult to find something that fits both your needs and your budget. And that is where Anchor comes in. If you are someone just breaking into the podcast scene and you're looking for a place to uh, get started hosting your podcast, Anchor is a great choice. For starters, it's totally free. There's no charge to host the files that you need for your podcast. It also has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're someone who hasn't broken into using GarageBand or Audacity or a more professional program to record your podcast... Anchor has all of the tools you need to record right from your phone or computer. Anchor also provides seamless distribution to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms, so it's really easy for you to reach a broad audience. If you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can do so with no minimum listenership through Anchor. Just record an ad and put a sponsorship segment in your show, and you're good to go. It's everything that you need to make a podcast right in one place. If you want to get started recording that podcast you've always dreamed about today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So, um, Jorel shows up. <laughs> Of all the interpretations of the ghost yeah. of Christmas pass, I wasn't going with crazy Howard Hughes looking Mr. Burns yeah, it's as interesting. one of them. But like, he does kind of come in though, and he's here. like, Scrooge, my son, you will have powers that they don't understand. It's very like he's so he's an old man. 
um, they they cast him as kind of like a a an old guy. He's got long hair. He's got a robe. He looks kind of short. There are scenes where it almost he looks does, like he's like standing I, on a table or something. Like it's it's a little bit unclear. Um, so John, one thing I want to go through when we go through these uh, movies is why uh, we talked about this last episode that the Ghost of Christmas Past is the one that always has an interesting yeah. twist to it, right? Or interesting take because the other two ghosts. Yeah, are pretty standard. Go, uh, uh, Grim Reaper, Santa Claus in a bathrobe with red hair. Like we, we get the other two are pretty standard. But why this choice? And I think I don't know if they've made this choice, but in my mind, since it's Scrooge's past, this is what Scrooge could have been. He could have been like he like I got to yeah. get something here because if nothing, there's no reason he should be an old. So man. the te- well, the text describes him as. Hard, hard to define they do describe it as an old man but also a young man and i think that the way the way it's described in the text is so intentionally vague that it's open to a lot of different interpretations so in this case it's kind of like father time almost um and we get that motif with like the hourglass which we're going to see in a second when they travel down like the doctor who time tunnel to screw oh see past. i went with alice in the what alice in wonderland uh, rabbit hole i'm, I'm impressed I, that i'm was, the one who went with the doctor who reference in this situation i i i look i thought of it yeah like it's there in the mind john but it's clearly like it's not a time vortex it's a rabbit hole that time is just falling through we see him end up at the school where young 35 year old scrooge still at school <laughs> um we get really it reminded quick. me of uh, it reminded me of uh, 90210 or any of those like 90s like high school dramas that would have 30 year olds. In them. Yeah, it was funny. yeah. Um, and I think this guy is definitely too old to play this scene that the way the way they play it here. So we have basically we have one actor that plays young Scrooge in all of these flashbacks. Right. And they try to make him work both as like a teenager and also as like a 35 year old businessman. How do you do, fellow kids? What? Um, we kind of cut right to his sister showing up and we get this interaction with them. They've added a little bit here. So the implication, right, is that Scrooge's mother died in childbirth, which is not something that's right. in the book, but they make it really explicit here, which I guess means that Fan is older than him in this version. That's what I had. He's the youngest in this version, where in the novella, it's pretty clear that his sister is younger than right, him, I think. Right, right. He's definitely, he's definitely older in the novella. But I think a lot of versions do this because this is a version that has Scrooge kind of responsible for his own mother's death, but it's certainly not the only version. Like, there are other versions that kind of do this as well and choose to make Fan the older sister. Um, and then there's this, like, real kind of... You know, in a cop movie where where like the older cops like, yeah, I'm, I'm one week from retirement and me and my wife are going to go down to Cabo and, and like it's going to be great. And you're like, oh, wow, he's going to die like now. Right. There's no way he survives the end of this movie. Scrooge does this thing where, where like fans like, you know, I love you so much. Right. Like and he's like, well, I guess you'll just have to live forever then. And he kind of says it multiple times, which feels like tempting fate a little bit to me. Well, it gets to my other note later on, which is forever versus time is a very big concept, especially in this one third of Scrooge's journey, the Ghost of Christmas Pass. And it's like the concept of like finality and time and you know like like people can die move on is very foreign to this guy which makes no sense (laughs) but it's what they're choosing they're choosing that he that things can stay the way they are and things don't have to change 
and he's saying it here. Don't change. Don't leave me. I, I and, think uh, that if they had a younger actor, like if they had an actor who was like 12, 13, 14 years old saying this, it would, I think it would not ring as like on the nose to me. Like it feels like something a young kid would say, but because they have the young adult actor who's going to play young Scrooge throughout all these scenes doing this part, it comes off a little bit like, okay. It's, I don't know. It just falls a little flat for me. So we kind of jump from there to Fezziwigs, right? Um, and we get the impression here, like this, this particular version of old Scrooge, I started to realize like there's an awkwardness to him that I think is really interesting that like the way his, his callousness and his coldness has alienated him from people makes it difficult for him to like, manage social interaction even with the ghosts there are these moments of like real awkwardness where like he lets his real kind of self out for a second and then pulls it back in because he's like almost afraid to let himself be seen i'll say it i got asperger's i'll say it. he's on the spectrum this scrooge like he is he is straight up on the spectrum that's why he's good at accounting he is 100 percent um, and that's why he's so black and white with his decision making because sometimes that's how it goes. And uh, so, as yeah, as the as the person in in our duo who does not, as far as I know at least, suffer from any kind of autism, um, I was kind of curious. I was going to ask if you thought that there was that vibe in this because I definitely feel like there's there's elements of of autistic behavior, and I think we'll see that. I mean. I don't know about you. I'm sure all, you've had thoughts all about spectrums this. of it, all spectrums of it. And we'll get to it later on. Um, after the dream sequence, um, Scrooge is autism is not black or white it, with personality. You can be, it's not like you're only somebody that has feelings and no feelings. It's all about the situation sometimes and how you're interpreting the data that's being given to you. And Scrooge is, uh, is a, is, Scrooge is a great example of how that's, I think this, I don't know if he knows what he's picking here as this is a choice, but this is definitely something that's going on with Scrooge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting too, because we're going to see, um, when we talk about the 2019 version of a Christmas Carol, I'm going to have a long conversation. We're going to have a long conversation about like mental health, um, with, I think autism in particular, um, as a, as a conversation topic. I, 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 it's a very fine line you can play with that by using that. Okay. Yeah, I think I a lot of people throw that out there because, Oh, it's an eccentric character, blah, blah, blah. We can just make him autistic and he's got superpowers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's, he, he's, he's the good doctor. He's a magical doctor with autism. No <laughs> we're people. Okay. We don't have superpowers. Trust me. Yeah. So we get a little scene here of of like young Ebenezer and uh, his fiance, who in this version is named Alice instead of Belle for reasons that make no sense to me. Every morning just the same since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town. Good morning, Alice. This is something in many older movies where they just arbitrarily change the name of a character. It's very weird. All right. It, I don't get it. I it doesn't. Belle's a much better name than. Then Alice. It's Christmassy almost. Like Belle. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. It's very weird. I wonder if they if it was just they just decided Alice was like a, a more popular name. Like I d I don't know. That's got an associate um, producer decision all over it. My daughter's name is Alice. You're naming the girl Alice. 
All right, but she's only in two scenes. You're giving us three. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we we get a uh, kind of the scene with them, uh, and I guess presumably is it is this at the Fezziwig party? It seems to be. I think it is. I think the Ghost of Christmas Past kind of just says, "Hey, take a look at what you're doing over here while this party's happening." And he's yeah, talking because we to- don't really spend like we don't get much of Fezziwig. We like see him and his wife dancing, and Scrooge is like, "Oh yeah, he he could make us really happy." And then he's like, "Oh, I don't I don't make my clerk very happy. I'm a bad person." And then he looks over and he sees his young self proposing to Alice with what is definitely like cubic zirconia. Like it's it's not a a rich person's ring. And you know what though? It's the novella. We don't see any of this in the novella. We don't see right. We we never see them when they're happy in the novella. It's always like jump right to he's he's a bastard now and she's breaking up with him. And, and I, we just kind of have to extrapolate. I always wish we could just get a moment of happiness with Belle. Like it's just just seeing that Scrooge was capable of that at some point, you know, I think it leads to his downfall. makes it even more tragic. So good choice. Um, But it's nice because we kind of get them making this like promise to each other. They're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get married and it doesn't matter that we're poor and everything's fine. And then we get like the beginning of, of ghost of Christmas past extended edition (gasps) special DVD box set, because there's a lot of extra stuff here. So we, we kind of jump to, um Fezziwig getting like the hard sell by some like shady industrialist this guy's basically trying to sell him on like uh adopting like newer business models moving in more machinery to whatever his business is not even that I think if I'm not mistaken he's like I'm gonna buy you out and modernize your business for a great sum of money and because you're not you're not designed to survive the industrial revolution you're gonna go out of business and right yeah and Fezziwig says i don't care what i'm providing to the community is much better than what you're trying to sell me as this in de- like i don't want to modernize because that's going to change who i am and the community around me which makes Fezziwig such a badass like he is just such a great even better of a character that he's standing up to this and then Fezziwig gets turned down and he walks and the guy I'm going to name as yeah, Mr. Jork, Mr. Jorkin. I'm going to call him jerk face because he is a jerk face. Yeah, he's even worse than I thought he was going to be. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, holy crap. I was like, I did not expect that turn from my this version of a Christmas Carol. But he he walks up to Scrooge and basically says, this guy's a schmuck. It's like the scene from Better Call Saul where he gets warped by this bad way of seeing life like there are sheep and there are wolves kind of speech that he gets right yeah and it's It's very classic like and and it's presenting scrooge with this sort of like listen you can you can do the fezziwig thing and be like altruistic and basically like run this business and and use your success to better your community or you can live up to your potential and get filthy stinking rich because this is a young man's game and you can't afford to like be stuck with this old man. And that's basically the choice that Mr. Jorkin gives Scrooge. Um, and it seems as though like Scrooge is in conflict about this. You definitely get the impression that he's like tempted by that, 
but that he also has like loyalty to Fezziwig and why wouldn't you, right? Because Fezziwig's a really good person. And this fills in a gap that I think the novella has. I actually think this is a really good call. They they give us a explicit um, sort of uh, decline of Scrooge where he goes from this clerk working for Fezziwig, who's this great boss, to becoming very like wealth minded and 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 business minded. And it happens because of the death of his sister. It's it's the begin it's the it's a one two punch. Uh it's it's this idea of greed is good is introduced to from this gecko type of character to Scrooge and then it's the death of his sister and I I have right here forever zero time one and the thing that yeah. Scrooge is holding on to it goes and yeah, the, the, you definitely so you get the impression that his sister is really like the thing that he is most emotionally attached to from like being a young man. So you get the impression that like he his mother died in childbirth. So his father like really didn't like him. But now um, like his sister kind of brings him back in. His sister's the one who always took care of him. And now she's dying. Right. And and he can't stand to be in the room when she dies. No, he he right. He he leaves the room, but he doesn't leave. And we'll get to that in a second. But he doesn't leave. He can't, yeah. he can't stand to be in there, but he can't yeah. leave. Right. So he, he walks out of the room and you get this great moment where like you don't see the baby. You just see that like she's dying and he's like begging her not to die. And then he gets up and he's walking out and the baby starts crying and he kind of looks over um, and almost withdraws like he's like has this kind of loathing for this baby presumably i think this guy that's standing there is that her husband i guess that, that was my impression like that was like it's his brother-in-law and it's like yeah and we don't know and anything. he gives him this dirty look like how could you do this to her y- you did this you did yeah. this she would have been alive if you and that thing weren't here so yeah f you off yeah and so he walks out of the room and she kind of in this like sort of delirious moment right before death begs him to take care of her son now and this is interesting right so is then i guess maybe that's not her husband is that like the doctor like it's is her husband not alive well look take care doesn't necessarily mean have to be the ward you know like you know it doesn't have to mean like adopt my son it could just be like just like be there for him look after your nephew like be a good guy and I see yeah. I see you're going to become really wealthy cuz you're a good businessman. You got them skills. So, you know, do what you can yeah. for my do do what you can for my son, your nephew. Yeah. Like I and we don't and and maybe the father maybe the father left. Maybe he maybe, you know, he did I, I I mean Fred seems like he does okay. So it doesn't seem like Fred ends up in like the poorhouse. No, and so, Fred's not like an or, is not orphaned. We have no indication that Fred was like not raised by a father or like some sort of relative traditional home. Like we don't get any of that. We just get that But we do know though that he should have a very close relationship with Scrooge and he doesn't. Right. And I, I think that in this scene it's what's really crushing is young scrooge walks out of the room and he may hear what she has to say before she dies but old scrooge has to stand there and watch it like he has to watch his sister die begging him to take and it i almost for a second wondered if they were playing it like as she's dying she can see him standing there i thought i got a little bit of that too i got that like she has 
like if this is really happening, maybe as she transfer from one realm to another, she was able to see him. Um, yeah, but it's vague enough that it it's all good versions of a Christmas Carol leave it just in the middle, and that's what's happening here. And I like I like that choice. That's a really good moment in the movie. And I feel like you could cut. I feel like you could cut the rest of what happens with the ghost of Christmas past and largely still have the same impact after this moment. Like, I think you could get here. You could just and have go, it be like, you could go just uh, up to bell Alice breaking up with him. And that, then you're good. Like, that's all you really need. Let's left, but they don't. Oh God. Yeah. They so, don't. So what's implied is that because of her death, he leaves Fezziwigs. And he takes up with Mr. Jorkin and Mr. Jorkin introduces him to Mr. Marley. So we get kind of a a young Marley in this sequence as well, which is an interesting kind of choice. And he has this interaction with Marley where basically they're, they, they're introduced and their conversation ends up sort of having this tone where Scrooge is like, listen, as far as I see it, the world is becoming a pretty cruel place and you can either do what you can to get ahead or you end up down among the rabble like everyone else like you got to take care of yourself and put yourself in a good position because the world's not going to do jack for you and i definitely feel like that's the pain of losing his sister coming through right that that changes his perspective and he becomes friends with marley over this bleak outlook of the world right then and there and his his closest friend and as we'll go along with the ghost christmas past it actually is a bit of a friendship and yet yeah so um scrooge uh, and Marley and Jorkin presumably buy out Fezziwig. And we get the scene of Fezziwig kind of riding his carriage away, looking sad. Scrooge, like, feeling this moment of regret as they're taking down Fezziwig's sign and putting up Scrooge and Marley's. Um, the novel does not imply that Scrooge's business, like, cannibalized Fezziwig's, but various versions do that, where, like, he actively put... Not only does he steer away from Fezziwig's philosophy on business, but like puts him out of business. Yeah. And he looks at the carriage that Fezziwig is driving away. And as Fezziwig looks at his business, literally be cannibalized and replaced with the sign that says Marley and Scrooge. And he wants to say uh, something to Fezziwig, but he doesn't have the courage or the will to do it. And Fezziwig. Yeah. And what what can he, and what can he say? Yeah. Sorry. I screwed you boss. Like, are they looking at each other in that moment? Like, are they uh, l- looking directly at each other? I don't know. Or does Fezziwig not see him? I really, I'm okay with not knowing, but I will always think like, did they see each other at that moment? It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we get the scene of, of kind of his breakup with Alice, um, which goes basically the way that they usually go, like the same type of conversation. Um, the, uh, they do it in her apartment, which I think interesting because this is almost always like they're walking in kind of that, the, the neutral location of, of impending breakup. Like it's, it's always like in a park or, or something along those lines so they can go their separate ways. But in this one, he's kind of in her apartment and she dumps him and he's like, okay, bye and walks out. And that's, and that's sort of it. It's a good version of the scene. I've seen this. I can remember it being done better. We'll see it done better. Yeah. Um, but I do think I wanted like. A lot of versions do this thing where old Scrooge goes to young Scrooge and is like, you idiot, like, go after her, like, fight for her. This is the biggest mistake of your life. I think that this version takes a little emphasis off of their relationship and puts more of it on his relationship with his sister, and yet, which is fine. Which is fine, but yet it 
it does and it doesn't. We'll get to that in a little bit. And it's like, oh, I, I don't. Yeah, there's a weird callback with this. I, I don't know quite what they were going for with Alice as a character in this movie. Yeah, it feels like they had. They were either going to make the bad choice or they were in position to make the bad choice. I'll get to that in a second. And yet they didn't. And and, be, and because they didn't, it means what's happening in the future makes no sense for why it's there. But yeah. 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 yeah we'll, we'll get to that. It feels like there might be about like half an hour of this movie on a cutting room floor somewhere. That's my impression, especially um, you'll notice that we've been spending a lot of time talking about the ghost of Christmas past and we still have more stuff to talk about. That's because this movie has a lot to do with the ghost of Christmas past. It's the biggest um, chunk of this the film. The lion's. Yeah, they really give the lion's share of this movie to Scrooge's past. And then the next two are like, okay, boom, boom, here we go. It feels like they um, saw It's a Wonderful Life and just, oh, going to the past is what people like. They don't like going to the fre- future or the present. So let's just let's just do everything we can do in the past. Yeah, they really want to do a lot to establish like why Scrooge is the person he is. And I don't fault that. I think that's a good call. But I do think that like a little bit more attention could be paid to the next two. So. Continuing with the past, um, we get now now like Alistair Sim playing kind of middle-aged Scrooge in a toupee and uh, the actor who played the ghost of Marley. And they're they're having this kind of business meeting with the shareholders of the company. And Jorkin, uh, Mr. Jorkin is there. He looks like he's about two thirds of the way through like a fifth of scotch, um, basically cracking wise to the shareholders about how he's been embezzling the company yeah. and the shareholders are like really pissed. And Jorkin is clearly like kind of checked out and, and making this big joke about it and talking about how, ah, oh, we're all cutthroats. It's fine. It's whatever. Like, what are you going to do? Take me to court, send me to botany Bay. And Scrooge and Marley are sitting there in, in kind of the posture and attitude of two guys who are about to drop the hammer. Like they have something that they're about to do and they're going to do it we're just kind of waiting out this scene. So there's a funny moment there where jerk face, he says, if you take me to court, you're going to weaken the, the national economy because there's going to be this lack of like trust or something like that. Like it's right. And I think that is either it, it is referencing either directly or not directly the South sea bubble of, of 1720, which is, Oh, look at you with the research. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, well, Extra Credit is a YouTube history uh, channel that does a lot of great uh, topics. And if you want to learn more about it, go check them out. But really quickly, the South Sea bubble was a huge, huge scandal that destroyed a lot of the economy in the UK. And I think it's it would while none of these guys would necessarily be um, adults in power at that time, they would have heard about it and they would have heard they would and they would have been able to call back to it and that's why i think this guy's referencing here it's like look we all know we don't want to mess up the the country so uh, let's just let's just tuck this one under the bed right let's just like let's play it down a little bit right interesting so that's actually really cool i like that that's a really good detail um nice job jimmy yeah i got my moments wait (laughs) wait a co-host so um Sidekick. So basically what happens here is that Scrooge and Marley come in and they've got this deal where they're going to be like, listen, we'll, we will pay into the company. Like we'll buy out what he embezzled, right? We'll go out of our personal funds. We'll reimburse the company for what Mr. Jorkin embezzled in exchange. We want 
to buy up to a controlling share in the company. So they're basically like, so Marley and I are going to control 51% of the company. And the shareholders are like, that's preposterous. But like, clearly it's what happens, right? Is they buy him out. And Jorkin is like, ha ha ha, you jerks. Look at this. You got to watch out for these two sharks. And he is, he is horrible. Like, I want to yeah. see his chain. Wait, 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 strike that. That didn't sound good. Look, look, I want to see the chain that he has made in life that is, if if Scrooge has one that's longer than, this is getting bad. Yeah. But, like, you know what I'm yeah. saying here? It's like, he must just be buried in horrible deeds. Like, this guy is yeah. worse than Scrooge at his worst. And... And and it seems like he taught like it seems like he taught Scrooge everything he knows, but Scrooge also has that practicality of like, I'm not gonna embezzle the company. I'm just gonna be a cheapskate and make a bundle on the exchange. Right. Right? Like he's smarter than Jorkin. So like in a way, he he eclipses Jorkin in this moment. Yeah, Jack Warner, who plays Jorkin in this, is it's a really good performance. Like in every scene that he's in, he's just so slimy. So um, very punchable, very punchable. Yeah, yeah, super. So we move on from there and it's uh, uh, Marley is dying. Yeah. And and we get this very like working class scene where uh, where Mrs. Dilber, who is Marley's housekeeper, soon to be Scrooge's housekeeper, comes in and tells Bob, like, listen, you tell you, you better tell him that he's got to show up because I don't know how much longer this guy's going to be alive. Like if he needs to, to settle anything with him, he's got to come settle it soon. And Bob goes to tell Scrooge this and Scrooge is basically like, oh, business day is not over. I'll go see him at the end of the business day of in note, two hours. Of note, the business day doesn't end till seven o'clock. Seven yeah. o'clock? Yeah. What the hell? I ain't working on Christmas Eve, right? Presumably this is Christmas, right? Because every major event in Scrooge's life happens on Christmas. Well, he did sort of. That's what's sort of implied. I mean, they say, well, no, he says he died seven years ago this very night. And he says it on Christmas yeah. Eve. So it's like, that's fine. That's cool. But seven o'clock? Get the heck out of town. Not happening. Yeah. Also worth noting that um, the last time we saw Scrooge's counting house, he was at the exchange. So he'll leave to go to the exchange right Right. to trade stocks and whatnot and i maybe that's part of the business but like he'll leave for that but not for his dying part well it's not business it's not business john it's the weird thing it's like he's not being cruel to be cruel it's being practical in his mind like yeah yeah it's all black and white it's 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 not right it lacks empathy and humanity but it's the way he looks at the world now we get a really interesting moment here um, so Scrooge eventually does go to Marley's house and the undertaker's man is already there. Mrs. Dilber is there waiting for him. Takes his and sweet butt time in, getting there. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And when he goes into Marley's room, Marley is like on the verge of death, right? He's very, very close to the end. And he's saying to Scrooge, we were wrong. We were wrong. There's still, there's still time for you. There's still a chance. There's still time to fix it. And then he dies. So he realizes like in the moment before his death. And I almost wonder if he was like slipping in and out, like if he died for a second and then came back or like what it is in this moment that makes him realize that they've been wrong this whole time. Or if it's just being close to death makes him realize like, oh, my gosh, I've wasted my entire life. What's great about this scene is that if you go on the dream theory that I 
mm-hmm. tend to go with. It's the seed of doubt that is being placed in Scrooge's mind. This is now yeah. the and it's always remind he always is reminded on on Christmas Eve because Marley died on Christmas Eve. So if this is all in his head, this is the root of it. This is the beginning of that notion of maybe I'm not doing the best I can. Maybe I'm not being a good maybe I'm wrong. And it starts right. here. So Marley dies um, and we get sort of the scene of Scrooge signing his his death certificate, right, as a witness. And that's where we get the the great line, my favorite line in the book, the grasping, wrenching, scraping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. The ghost of Christmas past says, it. look at you, look at you signing that, knowing you're going to take his house and his servants and his money and his share of the business. You piece of crap. It's- and then Scrooge wakes up in his bed. Well, it's the it's the it's the final form. It's one hundred percent the Scrooge we meet in the beginning of the movie. It's the iconic Scrooge. It's the it's the true making of a villain here. It's like this is it. This is yeah. you are now a villain because yeah, your friend, your only friend has died, and not like in um a scene that's not in this movie, but in the book, there's a scene where when Scrooge dies in the possible future, the people are they are reluctantly happy at their prospects improving because of Scrooge's death. That's not Scrooge here. He is tiptoeing out of that building there with all that money and that new house and that housekeeper that he is going to turn to the dark side slowly but surely in the next seven years. And all the bells on earth shall ring on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And all the bells on earth shall ring on Christmas Day in the morning. Wow. That's a lot of past for a one Scrooge movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense for us to... Uh, we're going to cut our first episode of discussing Alistair Sim right here because mm. that was quite a bit for us to digest, I think. Um, and then we'll be picking up next week with part five part part five no i can't even i'm looking at the notes instead we'll be picking up next week with part two and our discussion of the ghost of christmas present and future and what happens after that for alistair sim so if you enjoyed this episode that's also going to be a really really good one for you to tune in for if you would like to get in touch with us for any reason, if you have any comments about the show, any questions, any concerns, you can always reach us at jacobmarleyisdead at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at marleyisdeadpod. Marleyisdeadpod. I, can we can, can we petition Twitter to, so we can have a longer... Like, can we, I just want the name in Twitter. They can't... Mm, that makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's on like it's, it's on our profile image. Long. It's also our name. That's like fair. our name on Twitter is Jacob Marley is dead. The handle is Marley is dead pod. All right. So the the thing people are seeing is Jacob Marley is dead. But I know, and you know, and they know. Yeah. It's not what. Oh, sorry. Right. Twitter. We are not the only podcast with a long title that has to that has to forego having our actual name in there. All right. That's fine then. And James, what is something that uh, our listeners can do to support the show? They can go, if they're listening on Apple, they can leave us a five-star, 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 five-star review on Apple. Come on now, people. Yes. 
Uh, a five-star review is really helpful for a podcast like this one that's just getting off the ground. Gives us a little bit of exposure, uh, helps us climb the charts a little bit, and find an audience of people who are as weirdly passionate about this story as uh, James and myself are. Uh, thank you all so They're much. They're out there. We... <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, They're out there, John. We can, we'll find them. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. Please join us next week for the second half of this episode. And remember, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.